Welcome to the 86th episode of the No Degree Podcast. Isabel Nairog is the head of drones at Globy, a drone-as-a-service company. They collect drone data on demand to predict and detect disasters. She got a job out of high school working as a nanny in Vienna. She got exposed to a lot of interesting things during that job. She took an online course about drones, and that's how she got her start. Learn how Isabel broke into drone operations and got to where she is today. Visit nodrugby.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Every sub is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today, I have Isabel Nyroth. I got your name correct, right? Yeah. Can you give a brief introduction of yourself? Sure. So my name is Isabel Nyroth, and uh, I am a drone pilot uh, originally, uh, currently head of drones at Globy in Sweden. And uh, yeah, I have spent my career out traveling the world flying drones. Wow, that's amazing. Are there a lot of drone pilots in the world? It's a growing number, I think, by the day almost. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, it's definitely a significant increase uh, if you compare today to even five years ago, even more so eight years ago when I started. Um, so yeah, I would say today, um, most people know what a drone pilot is. You don't instantly connect it to being a military drone pilot, although that does still happen quite frequently, but it's become more normalized as a, as a normal job. Are there a lot of women drone pilots? Not as many as men, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's also an increasing number. Um, I think that I know, yeah, quite a few drone, female drone pilots in multiple countries. So um, yeah, there's a that's small cool. bunch of us. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. So let's kind of take it back. What do you want to do in high school? Wow, that 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 <laughs> that was an exciting time. It was everything from uh, wanting to become a fashion designer to wanting to become an artist of some sorts, uh, to being a diplomat. I don't know. I wanted to do something where I was not just in one place, but I was traveling a lot, meeting a lot of people, and uh, just finding a passion and being creative and doing something. So yeah, how I got from wanting to do that to here, it's been quite an interesting journey. Um, but I still, you know, I haven't given up on on a few of the creative ideas that are still from high school time of my life. So you seem like a dreamer. So I was a dreamer too, just like dreaming big, kind of wanting to do different things. Now, did you have any jobs during high school? Yeah, I did. Um, I had my first job at 15. I was working at a restaurant, you know, just taking care of the dishes and waiting on tables. But I also, um, right out of high school, I ended up being um, a nanny to... Um, to a really great family, uh, I moved to Vienna, and um, that was an incredible experience because it was it was a very demanding job in the sense that it was a family that was always going to events, always traveling, and it was at times very hard to keep up. But it was so exciting because it exposed me to um, a different way of life, a different way of thinking, and you know, learning to stay efficient with your time and planning. And it was almost, you know, kind of like developing these tools that I took with me in life of how to manage my career, my time uh, very wisely uh, by trying to balance someone else's life. How do you even get a job like that? That was on a whim. I, 
you know, graduated high school uh, in Sweden and didn't really know what I was going to do. So I created a resume, just put it online somewhere, some website, just here's me. And I think it took like a week and I had this person contacting me saying, hey, there's this family, they want someone to take care of their three kids. Um, Could you start tomorrow? And I didn't even have time to think about it. I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, Because I think that I essentially just wanted to get out of Sweden, do something else, go somewhere, learn something. And it didn't matter if that was working at McDonald's in a different country, because then at least I would be learning something new than staying in the same old place with the same old people um, doing the same old routine. So I didn't really have a lot of expectations. And when this came to me, I was, you know, first one to say, yeah, let's do it. So how long did you keep that job? About a year. And then um, my family opened up a restaurant and I did have some restaurant experience. So uh, I decided to jump back home and uh, help out uh, with the family restaurant for a while. So I've been kind of like through my teen years, bouncing between restaurant, gastronomy, working in the kitchen, learning uh, some basic chef uh, duties. And um, yeah, just taking on whatever opportunity that came around that brought me to someplace that, hey, that sounds exciting. Let's try it. Nice. So how how was the restaurant? Like, how, did it go Did it go well? Yeah, it, it went really well, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, we had the family restaurant running for, uh, gosh, I, I don't remember how many years exactly. Um, but eventually it ended because my, my parents decided to move. But it was a great run. Uh, we had a good uh, local community. You know, people knew who we were. And we put on like live events, live music. And uh, it was the place to be on a Friday night. So that was fun. That's awesome. So once it ended, what was the next part of your journey? For me, it was kind of ongoing because when I did graduate high school, I didn't quite know exactly what to do, but um, I had the privilege of, so I grew up in a family where my father has been in the drone industry and I grew up around it, but not necessarily in it. So we were traveling, you know, throughout my whole childhood between Sweden and the US and Austria with that, I just knew like, this is kind of the lifestyle I want to live, just kind of tasting the world. (laughs) And um, I always asked my dad, what can I do to get into the drone industry? Because at the time, this was, let's say 10 years ago, there was no university education, there was no way to actually, you know, have a clear path of this is what you do to become a drone pilot, or uh, end up in the drone industry, even in sales or marketing or whichever position in the industry as a whole, because there was just no path. So I ended up actually uh, just networking my way to find uh, an online course about drones. And I took that one. And uh, what'd you learn in that? Like, what'd you, what do you learn in a drone <laughs> course like that? Every kind of drone platform on the market from, you know, the basic toys that you would maybe buy an eight-year-old at the supermarket to the military surveillance drones. Um, just understanding what is the difference, what are they size-wise, how do they, how are they, you know, built? What's the purpose behind them? To try and piece together that a drone doesn't really tell you anything when you say, "Oh, this is a drone." A drone can be so many things. It doesn't even have to be necessarily in the air. There are ground-based drones and water-based drones. Um, so it's just a, a course to kind of simplify drones, aerial drones. What is what does that actually entail? So a drone would be like an unmanned vehicle. Yes. So the, do, can the, the water-based drones have the ability to fly, 
but they can also submerge. Well, it depends. I mean, yes, there are a few of those platforms in the baking and that have been created, but typically you'll have just a water drone that is built to just be in the water autonomously or without a person on board. Um, and then you have ground robots, which is also a drone because it's not a person who is actually transporting the vehicle, but maybe you're doing so remotely. And then you have UAV, which is unmanned aerial vehicle. So that's why, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Big world. So you took the course, then what came next? So after the course, they offered me an internship. So I took my bags. I was in Sweden at the time. I took my bags and flew to Colorado and uh, did a summer internship with the company, which later led to uh, working there full time. And um, yeah, I had a great year and a half in Colorado, just kind of, I have no idea what I'm doing kind of situation, but I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, just kind of paving the road, taking every opportunity to fly any drone that came my way and just figure out like, okay, what can we actually do with these tools? Because we all understand it's a great tool for photography, but how do you take that to the next level and apply it to actually, you know, bring you photos that can be useful? You had that job for a year and a half. Now, you mentioned you didn't know what you're doing, but obviously you learned a lot. What are some big things that you learned? And what time, what year was this? Yeah, so this was 2015, 2014, 15. Okay. Um, well, the main thing I learned is that you not... Everyone thinks drones is really cool and that's great, but it takes sometimes a certain mindset to actually take a moment and learn about it and connect what you're actually going to do with a drone. Um, most of my time in Colorado was spent teaching others how to fly, which meant me learning in the process as well. And when you do that, you're sometimes putting the drone to the limits. We're flying in different climates. It could be a hot summer day. And then you start to understand that, okay, um, drones might have a different way of flying in heat versus in extreme cold or even in a mountainous area uh, as compared to other places in the world. So for me, it was all about learning the limitations of drones and how to actually help teach that further because we had people at the same at, at this time flying in from countries all over the world uh, to take this course and, and learn how to become drone pilots. That's something that I could imagine because it's not like, hey, I'm going to boot up this drone and use it. You probably have to think about the drone has a limited flight time. You have to coordinate. It costs money, right? There's probably some even maintenance and repair that goes on like for X number of flight time. So it's something very coordinated. Now, what, what came next? So you did this for a year and a half. You taught. You kind of got a lot of the basics out the way. Now, what was the next step in your journey? So the next step actually came because regulations in the U.S. changed. And um, for a period of time, the Federal Aviation Authority actually wanted drone pilots to have a manned pilot license. And uh, I was not in a position at the time to afford to get to that place where I had a, a actual uh, manned aviation license, even a, you know, just a simple private pilot license. So um, I looked at Europe and I was like, hmm, well, I can continue my career there. There, So that's what I ended up doing. I flew back to Sweden, started looking at, okay, how is the drone industry over here? It was not as advanced as the US at the time, but there was a lot of interest, a lot of interest of companies that were trying to figure out how can we implement drones to our work. At the time, there was mostly hobbyists that were taking photos. 
So um, I ended up just kind of promoting drone photography in Sweden, uh, doing my own thing, uh, helping out, consulting. Anybody needs a drone pilot, uh, I'm here. (laughs) And um, then I got picked up by a consulting company in the UK who later helped match me with other projects around the world that needed someone that had the experience to help teach others how to fly or knew about the planning of, of how to plan drone operations. Because as you were saying a little bit earlier, there's, there's so much more to uh, flying drones than just flying the drone. The flying the drone is actually the easy part as opposed to the planning that comes before it and after it and the maintenance and everything else that you have to keep in mind. How was this job in the UK? And how long did you have that? <laughs> so that was uh, off and on as a consultant. Um, so I would kind of touch base in the UK every now and then. And then I would spend a few months around the world. Uh, we went to Indonesia, uh, went to the UAE, um, had a few you know, sporadic projects that would come up and they would most of the time last a few months. So um, it was really exciting because you never know what's coming. But at the same time, every single one of these projects was exciting in its own way. And um, you get to work with so many different people that, you know, you just kind of, for me, it was always taking a moment and looking around. It was like, I'm just this little girl from a farmer town in middle of nowhere, Sweden. And here I am (laughs) somewhere in the world teaching other people to fly robots. It's amazing. No, I mean, that that sounds so freaking cool. I mean, I wish... I knew about this when I was younger. <laughs> right. So now obviously you've had several jobs after that. What were the main things that you did in the job? Was it was it always a, a similar thing of sort of teaching, flying the drones, kind of doing some operations, or did some jobs really change? Jobs have changed somewhat, but the main theme has, has always been operations, being out in the field, collecting data, or either teaching others how to collect that data. Um, so I've worked for multiple startups and either I'm hired as, uh, an expert, which I don't like to actually use the term expert because I don't think anyone can be an expert in something that is still relatively fresh and new. And there's just way too much we don't know yet. But when you do have someone who has extensive experience, uh, you want someone like that to help you build a company, which will revolve around the use of drones. So most of the time, my part plays in, you know, telling companies, this is how we can work with regulations to make your goal be achieved with the help of drones. Sometimes it's also been uh, as working directly with manufacturers of, of the drone hardware or software um, and just trying to piece together, like, how do we build this ecosystem of software and hardware that will actually work well together? Wow. No, that's very good to know. I mean, it's such a interesting industry, right? Because you mentioned that you have the regulations, you have the software, you have the hardware that you need to know. And I'm pretty sure they're getting updated relatively. They're getting updated and you're getting changed. Because I remember the drones that you could buy a few years ago, the flight time was a lot lower. And now it's a lot cheaper and more affordable. I mean, still a little pricey, but much more affordable uh, than before. And I want to kind of go back. You mentioned, and this is something a lot of people struggle with, the expert, right? The, The topic of expert. And one of the best things I've ever learned is like when you go to your car, your car mechanic is an expert. And if you were to go to your car mechanic, they're not the best car mechanic in the world. They just know there's a distance between their knowledge and your knowledge. So a lot of times, sometimes being the expert is not necessarily 
being the leading person in the world or the person who knows most is knowing enough that you can at least answer the majority of their questions. So, you know, I would tell the listeners to just realize that, hey, realize that there's people who know what they're doing, this version of an expert, right? And it's usually like, oh, I don't know everything. There's always so much more to learn. And versus, hey, your customer's version of an expert, which is, hey, can this person solve my problem? So what are some other things that people should know about the drone industry, right? Because regulations is very important and, you know, it can make or break you and it can save you from a lot of trouble. Knowing the hardware, knowing the software, what are some other things people need to know about the drone industry to be successful in it? That is a great question. Um, I mean, I kind of see it from two different aspects because the topic of drones has been around now for quite a few years and we read about it in the news, we read about deliveries, you know, um, deploying in our local communities around the world to, to deliver uh, consumer products. Um, and I think it's great that it's becoming normalized, but at the same time, we're not quite there yet that there's going to be drone job, job, jobs that are, um, you know, like we need 500 pilots today because the infrastructure is still being built to be able to hold the capacity of having drones flying in every city around the world. Um, so it's it's still a community and industry very much under development, but this is the time to get in on it because now, even though there's frequent changes, frequent updates, both in the product itself, but also the regulations, um, it shouldn't be something that is like a red flag of like, oh, this is just constantly changing. It's a great thing that it's constantly changing because you're still able to be a pioneer in this industry. You don't have to have jumped in in 2014 or before or, you know, in the last year or two, you can jump in in 2022 and still be a pioneer of this industry and identify so many solutions that this industry is in need of. So whether you're a software engineer or you're in marketing or sales or whatever you want to set out to do in life, there's something for you in the drone industry to go and embrace and take it and make it your own and, you know, plug in solutions to issues that we see that, okay, this needs further development, but maybe someone hasn't thought of the perfect solution for it. So yeah, if you like a good challenge and uh, are looking for, you know, an exciting uh, industry to work in, then I would say the drone industry is the right place to be. So now what are some ways to learn more about the drone industry, right? I remember you mentioned you took a course, but now the ecosystem, while still in development, is a lot more friendly to sort of learn new things. So what would you recommend for, to people? Yeah, um, I mean, today there's so many more courses than uh, there were in 2014. So um, yeah, I would say no matter where you live in the world, there's probably an online course. So you don't have to actually attend physically. But if you want to attend physically, there's tons of great courses uh, pretty much offered, I think, in the United States. I know like in every state you can find a course nowadays. Um, and, and yeah, I would say online courses is a great place to start. Um, there's typically two kinds of students. And the first type is the one who is like, oh, this is easy. Uh, I've seen it a million times. I watched a YouTube video. So let's go. And then five minutes later, your drone is stuck in a tree. And then the second student is the one that's really scared of it and, you know, has their drone collecting dust on a shelf because you're just too afraid to open up the box, go out there and actually try it. So I would say start with an online course, start talking and networking with community. There are so many great uh, Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups, Instagram communities um, that you can join and just, just talk to other drone pilots and see what they're doing. Ask, hey, how did you do that? I want to do that too. 
Um, because everyone is really, in my experience, um, they want to help out. Like they want to promote more people to join the drone industry. So um, yeah, networking and uh, just looking for the information out there already. It's a great place to start. I mean, that's the beauty of industries that are formed around hobbyist cult, you know, around a hobbyist movement. You get a lot of friendly people who are just there to teach you and and, and it's a small community too, where it's like, hey, you know, Isabel, I also, she taught me and, right, it, it kind of goes far. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. This is going to catch you off guard. And, but, you know, I want you to share some stories regarding it. How many drones did you crash? <laughs> I have crashed probably four or five. Okay. And that's, that's too out much. of probably at least a hundred drones. So I would say it's still yeah, pretty yeah, good. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I don't think you're a real pilot until you've had at least one good crash. Um, because there's always something that, you know, you could, you could have flown a drone for five years without a crash. And then one day you're going to encounter a scenario of wind and buildings around you, just factors that you might not have been around before and it'll catch you off guard as a pilot. And, uh, yeah, all of a sudden you have a drone on the ground where it's not supposed to be. And, uh, yeah, it's a lesson learned. Was there a recurring theme among the crashes that like now you're like, okay, this is how I'm going to avoid that. (laughs) Um, for me, luckily, my crashes have been uh, in the learning phase. So when you categorize drones, so there's commercial drones that you can go by yourself, uh, off the shelf at Best Buy or whatever. That's something that you should safely practice at home. But then in my case, I've also worked for manufacturers directly where you typically have a few weeks of training to learn about the product before you start training others on the product. Most of my crashes have happened in the training phase of just not understanding 100% from the start of what to do. And that that definitely gives you a hit to your uh, you know self confidence. Like oh um, snap, this this didn't go the way I wanted it to. But you know, just keep in mind, it happens to everyone. Just like the best basketball player in the world misses a shot, a drone pilot is going to have a mistake or you know accidentally forget something at some point and mess up. So, what is even considered a crash? Is it like? <laughs> drone blowing up kind of thing, you know, like, but what is the crash considered? Or it's like, oh, hey, I damaged like the left wing. It needs to be repaired. Um, yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Like, what is the definition of a crash? Um, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's a legal definition and then there's like yeah. a personal definition. Yeah. What's your personal definition? My definition of a crash is like the drone goes down and it wasn't supposed to. You can have like a technical problem where like you lose connection and there's an automatic uh, setting that it just it lands itself and i wouldn't call that a crash because that's a safety feature that is supposed to happen but if you collide with something in air then that's a crash so <laughs> okay that's a fair definition now how long do drones like what's the range of how long drones stay i know some whatever they have like the 20 to 30 minutes and then are there drones that sort of last days right can you tell me more about that yeah, I mean, that's, that's again, you know, uh, what is a drone? <laughs> um, because it's such a wide range of, you know, you can have the teeny tiny little drones uh, that'll last like seven, eight minutes. And then there's uh, drones that are powered by solar uh, energy. And there's drones that are powered by fuel that can obviously go a lot longer than an electric drone. But um, in my experience, I'm more working with uh, only electric powered drones. They're powered by LiPo batteries. So it's a balance of um, what is the drone designed? Is it, uh, you have like multi-rotor, like a quadcopter, which means that 
it's going to take off vertically and it's going to fly a limited range. These typically have uh, anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes. There are some that will fly for 40 minutes or so. But then you also have fixed wing drones, which are built like what we see uh, perhaps an airplane um, that are also electrically powered, but these can fly for maybe one, two plus hours. Um, so it's all about the flight dynamics. What is it designed to do? And then I could imagine like wind and affects it. But now you mentioned heat. Like, like how does heat affect like the ability of a drone to fly? Right. So um, yeah, I just, I, I'm coming now from, from Arizona. I lived in Arizona for uh, the last few years. And um, when you're out in the field flying in, uh, let's say 110, 115 degrees Fahrenheit, it affects your battery because it will overheat your drone. And if it's not the drone overheating, it's possibly the camera on board the drone or the phone or tablet or whatever you're using to control the drone. And if it's none of those three things, it's the pilot itself in need of some shade. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it just becomes a lot more challenging to fly in these conditions because components aren't built to be you know, uh, working in these conditions for an extended amount of time. So you can absolutely go do a few flights, but you need to plan carefully uh, to have breaks in between, let the equipment cool down, and just make sure that, you know, you don't put your batteries at risk to, uh, to, to get damaged. Because if you have damaged equipment, you know, you have to keep in mind this is LiPo batteries and they are very much explosive. So um, it's not the time and place to be reckless with uh, how to fly. And So let's kind of talk about the different areas that there's going to be drone work, right? So you have photography is like the biggest one, right? You get the real estate photography, right? You have these cool videos. Um, even event photography or videography where you come overhead. You know, deliveries are some of the other things. Now, what are some interesting projects? Because I know like sometimes in some remote villages, right, you have like medicine delivery or transport. Also, sometimes it's like in hostile areas. They want to kind of gauge the area to figure out like safety, how it would kind of go in. So what are some interesting areas that drones are really making an impact? At Globy, for example, we're creating a better future with drones. And how do we do that? Well, it's beyond taking just a nice photo that you can use for your travel blog or whatever, but it's also not necessarily bringing uh, hardware equipment by drone delivery. We are actually capturing data that is used to be able to take better decisions where needed. So for example, we have drones out that are mapping uh, and looking for malaria mosquitoes so that we can prevent an outbreak of malaria before it's too late. Um, And this also applies to other airborne diseases where we're able to at least go look at larvae. We can map different kinds of water, changes happening over time. Um, If you keep a closer eye on vegetation and changes happening, then it's a lot easier to prevent and detect a disaster before it happens. At Globy, I mean, we're sending out pilots all over the world to either map uh, changes of forests, of um, of climate uh, that is supposed to be used for being able to understand, okay, how can we make remote communities healthier, stronger, and have access to this technology today instead of, you know, waiting 10, 20, 30 years for uh, technology to become more accessible in remote areas that you just don't see in big cities around the world today. That's so cool. Now, what were some of the mistakes you made along the way? <laughs> Um, I mean, plenty, plenty of mistakes. I'm definitely, uh, yeah, not sure which one to pinpoint. (laughs) All right. What are some ones that stand out? 
and you're like, I'm not making that again. <laughs> right? I, I really could have avoided that. Um, I would say that it's not necessarily about the drones themselves, but uh, with people. I think I'm a very trusting person by nature and see the best in people, but you learn the hard way that when you're an adult, you know, there's a lot, you should have focused harder on the Disney villains than the good guys. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, everywhere you go, you're going to find people that manipulate you or take advantage of you. And I think that's something that I wish I would have learned a lot earlier in life. Uh, let's say, you know, directly from high school, um, how to deal with people and, and see signs that, hey, they're not offering you the best job ever. You know, um, you're actually going to be put in a position that uh, it's going to be very hard to um, to stay with like a work life balance. Um, in the startup industry, it's very common that you know, you on paper you have one job description, but in reality, <laughs> it's something completely different. And um, that's something that I've you know just learned the hard way that you take it for what it is, and you either learn to accept that okay, what are the benefits of being in a hectic work environment? You're either traveling constantly and you're running yourself into the wall um, or is it worth it like to keep going and pushing? Like you have to learn your own limits. And I think that's what like, I'm now in my late 20s and I'm just now learning this, but I've spent eight years just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. Yeah, I don't really regret it, but I do wish that I had learned more about like- yeah. It's like the drone crashes, right? Like, there's no way you you learn from them, you know, and they make you a better person. And I think it's very important. I think what I found, even with me, I'm I hit thirty. I'm gonna turn thirty one in March. I found that self awareness and just knowing yourself and just learning about others, because oftentimes we look at other people like how we view ourselves. But everybody's really different. They have their own personality. They have their own motivations. They have their own strengths and weaknesses. And I think once we start learning that, it's a lot easier to sort of deal with people. Now, what would you say were some of the extremely smart things you did throughout your career? Say yes, even though I'm really scared. I have no idea like what I just said yes to, but I said yes, so I'm going to do it. That that has been, I think, the drive of my career um, because whether it's been like, it doesn't necessarily have to be saying yes to a job. It could be saying yes to going on a trip that I don't know, maybe nobody else wants to go or there's a reason that like you end up going on that trip and you don't really see the reason for going, but you make it what it is. So um, I think the best thing that I've done is just say yes, take every opportunity. And there's always been something to take with you through that. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of traveling, but there's a certain way to travel. There's a way to have like travel work with you let's say you have an agenda, you know, when you're getting to the airport, you know, which hotel you're staying at, you know, which event you're going to, and you just follow that agenda. And then you might come home disappointed because it's like, oh, I was okay. Um, but if you go there and maybe walk the offbeat path every now and then don't follow the agenda, um, you never know who you're going to run into, what's going to happen or what you're going to see around you that inspires you. It really sparks your imagination. And I think that's the most important thing because your imagination shouldn't be left, you know, from kindergarten or something like that. You need to bring that with you in life because that's going to help you inspire yourself to which decision you take next. And sometimes those are the best decisions that you'll ever take. 
So I think it's really important to just kind of keep an open mind, say yes, and don't really expect too much, but make it yours. Like, yeah. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's like, you know, say yes to things. I think over time you get, you understand how, just how far that goes for you. I've seen certain people, you know, in my life who say no to everything and then time flies by and you just miss out on so many good things and then you just don't grow as a person. Now, in your opinion, what has been your biggest accomplishment? Oh, um, so far, um, I, I would say there's a few people along the way that have reached out and said that they were inspired by me to get into technology or to go buy their first drone. And that, to me, it means the world. Um, that means I've done my job. Because I'm, I, I don't really have like a strict goal. Like, what do I want to do in life? I don't know. I'm riding the wave and let's see what happens. I'm yeah. excited about... And it's a cool yeah, wave. Yeah, it's a great wave to be on. I'm having fun, but also, you know, feeling like, okay, here's a place where I can make a difference. And that is something that fuels me personally. Um, but it's making a difference for younger generations, but also older generations to realize that, hey, not happy with where you are in your office environment or with your career path that's okay. You can make a switch and join this industry because they realize that, you know, this is something that anyone can join it. You don't have to be a technology expert. I'm by no means by nature a technology expert, um, but I've become one by interest of this industry. And um, yeah, I just think that there's no limits to it. And if you can inspire people to break away from thinking that they're trapped in their career or trapped on whatever path they chose years ago, but no longer feel comfortable on, then I think that's my biggest achievement. That's a big thing, just being able to inspire. And it's like, wow, I did that. And now it's going to be another Isabel, right? Somewhere out who's going to go through her own path. And that's beautiful. And I know you'll keep inspiring more. Um, and hopefully several listeners of this episode. Now, what would you tell yourself, 18-year-old self? Whew, um, I would tell my 18-year-old self that it's going to be okay. Because I remember being 18. And at the time, my, my, my late teen years, they were, um, they were pretty complicated. My parents got divorced and I kind of found myself living alone already at 16. So from 16, 17, 18, that was a challenging time for me because I was trying to figure out, like, where do I belong in this big grand world? Like, what am I supposed to do? And at so many points, I felt like giving up and just, you know screw it. I'm just going to start working at this place and that'll be it for the rest of my life. I'll just settle for this or, or, you know, just be content with where I'm at. But at the same time, you know, you have this like secret voice in your head. That's like, Oh, this would be cool. Or oh, that'd be fun. Like one day. And I just followed that. And I'm so glad that I did. And I would tell my 18 year old self to just keep following that voice because that doesn't go away, whether you're 18 or 28 or possibly 38 um, I think you're always going to have a little whisper somewhere telling you like, oh, that sounds interesting. And yeah, just don't push that away. No, I mean, that's, that's great advice. Now, you're 18 again, but now you're 18 in 2021. How are you going to go about, you know, navigating the drone industry? Oh, I would, uh, I mean, okay, this might sound very millennial of me, but I would start a drone channel on TikTok. <laughs> oh, that is, that is very smart. There's so many cool things you could do um to show like how cool and fun drones are um i just feel like i'm i don't know reaching uh too old for tiktok i'm not sure 
<laughs> no, no, trust me. You know what? TikTok, as long as you focus on a niche, it's like you end up attracting this audience that's really interested in drones. So you're not too old. <laughs> Maybe I'll try it. I'll pretend to be 18 again. But um, no, if I was 18 in, in, in 2021, I would stay on the same path that I want to do. But I would do it with the help of the internet in a different way from, from what I did when I was 18. Because today you have so much social media platforms that are just designed differently than they were 10 years ago. Um, so I would ride that wave along with the passion for, for the industry. What other pieces of advice would you give for someone who's like, you know, sort of the, in the you know, high school or, you know, graduated or career transition who's looking to sort of get into the drone industry? If we kind of touch on the need or no need for a degree, for a minute, it, I would say that this is an industry that you don't have to feel pressure to have a degree necessarily. I mean, engineering degrees can help, but again, there's not really that clear path of like to get a degree in drones. So I would say that again, just join a local community. Like if you can afford it, start like just small, a little, a little drone starter kit and then build from there. Um, just get connected with people. Most people, they're happy to like at least donate or help out and, and get people started into the industry. So yeah, if you're looking to get into this industry, but don't know where to start, it goes back to networking and at least like just get something that you can try hands-on at home and just start learning. And then I think that you'll see opportunities pop up around you. Like, oh, I can apply my skills to this problem or this job or make my own job. Um, you start connecting like solutions to, to the areas like around you. Was there ever a time that the lack of the degree ever held you back? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but not everywhere. So um, I, I would say that the lack of a degree for me has definitely stopped me from having a few jobs that I've applied for. Um, but it also kind of depends which position and which country. There are some countries that absolutely require it because it's like, what, you don't have a degree? Like, I don't even care what degree. You don't have one. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, but some people, it just doesn't matter. It just matters that you're at least willing to learn, you listen, and uh, yeah, you just, you show up. Showing up is pretty much half the battle. What degrees did they even require? Was it engineering degrees? Or? Yeah. Uh, a lot of times it's been either engineering or something along the lines of project management, like a PMP. Something that shows that you have um, either aviation uh, background or more like running programs, organized skills, understand how technology works. And for me, I've self-taught <laughs> and it works most of the time. Sometimes the things that you learn in school, I think, don't apply to real life, especially in such a new industry. So I would say experience beats a degree all the way, every time. Does having a pilot's license help? Yeah, it helps. Um, like I said, I don't have a pilot license for manned aviation. Um, but sometimes I think it would have been cool to have one because then you really understand at least the regulatory aspect of why we have regulations. I mean, drones is such a new industry as it is. If you rewind and look back in time to how airplanes were integrated into the world, how airports were rolled out. I mean, somebody had to plan all of that. There's an infrastructure around it for a reason so that we don't have accidents. We don't have 
uh, delays and problems. And now you're integrating a new flying aircraft that also needs to work seamlessly. So of course, it's going to be delays. And as a drone pilot, it's frustrating that regulations sometimes hold us back from what we want to do. But there's a reason that there is a holdback. So um, understanding the other side of the argument is important to to see while we're here. Yeah, You don't want random drones crashing into you or falling on you and stuff. And it it is very important to understand uh, what you're getting into. So what are your future goals now? Wow. (laughs) I kind of take it just year by year. And um, personally at work, we just kicked off this really exciting project. We're going to be mapping climate change uh, with drones. But at the same time, we're also going for a Guinness World Record to collect the most amount of drone images uh, while we are mapping climate change. So, um, yeah, I mean, currently we have over 5,000 pilots in the world in, I think, 96 countries, last time I checked. So um, we have a lot of really exciting pilots out there, and they know their local climate better than, you know, one person sitting in Sweden does, uh, or a group of 10 people even in Sweden. It's super exciting because as head of drones, I get to interact with these pilots and together with my team, we get to, you know, understand how much of an impact drones can do. And if this kicks off, then, you know, there's no limit to what we can achieve going forward. And to prove, you know, that drones are good, it's not just for photography and it's not for just delivery, but we can provide really exciting data with them. So short term, that's my goal going forward into 2022. Uh, hopefully we get this record. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see the results. How many pictures does it take to beat the record? <laughs> Currently, it's at 20,000. Um, okay. But yeah, I think it's achievable that we can uh, go beyond that and uh, set the bar high. Now, as we wrap up, is there anything you want to share that you haven't shared already? Goodness. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's there's a lot of learning points that I would love to share. Um, with, I guess, anyone who's curious about drones. But um, I would just say that if you're feeling like at any point that life is holding you back because you don't have a degree or life is holding you back because you just don't know what to do, I think it gets so overwhelming today. You have to pick and choose, gosh, what am I going to do the rest of my life when you're so young? (laughs) Even in midlife, you know, what am I going to do? I'm not happy with where I'm at or whatever. I would just say that it's never too late to change and it's never too early to try something new. I love that attitude. Thank you so much for your time, Isabel. I learned so much. I know the audience will learn so much and I look forward to what's going on in your future and I'll definitely have you back on because I know the industry is going to have go through so many changes in the next few years and you'll have a lot more to share. Thank you so much. I really look forward to that. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at Facebook.com slash No Degree INC. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com.
Yeah. So, you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem? We can solve them. We got this. Linked insomnia keeps us evolving. Growing and knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, yeah